You may be seated. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, which if we're honest, was more like the feeding of the 20,000, because you can't just say, well, they fed everyone, they fed 5,000 men, and also there were some women and children there. They were fed as well. But this is the only miracle that's told in all four of the Gospels. Not even Jesus' birth has that distinction. In both Matthew and Mark, the similar story is told again with seven loaves and 4,000 people. And in both Matthew and Mark, the story comes up a third time when the disciples say that they have no bread. And Jesus reminds them of the first two times and says, do you not understand? Which is, in fact, a question Jesus asks the disciples a lot. We think of this as a miracle story. That the miracle is that the bread and the fish were multiplied by some godly power. But I think when we focus on the obvious miracle of multiplying food to feed thousands, we miss the two other miracles that are perhaps more significant in this story. Jesus sees the crowd's great need and feels compassion for their plight. And we kind of take that for granted in Jesus, that he looks at people in need and says, we can do something to help. But in the scene just before this one, Herod is hosting a birthday party for the rich and for the powerful. And while we might regard this as a first century equivalent of an episode from Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, Herod's behavior was actually really normal. You had money so that you could spend it. You had power so that you could acquire more of it. You had privilege because you deserved it. The needs of the poor? Who would ever be interested in that? They had obviously done something to deserve their station in life. Why would we get involved in people who just made bad life choices? A common picture of God in the ancient world was that of a supreme being who was, by definition, unchanging, unfeeling, and entirely unmoved by any kind of human suffering. This was true of the Greek and Roman gods, 
for whom humans were little more than playthings. And also for God of the philosophers, so often designated with warm and fuzzy names like the unmoved mover or the first cause of pain. Against this backdrop, the idea that the Son of God and the Lord of the cosmos would even notice the needs of the common folk, let alone have compassion for them, is a miracle. The ancient view of commodities was that everything was limited. Food and clothing and water was limited. If somebody else had enough food, that meant they were taking it from you. But it was beyond that. Love and honor and goodness and power were also seen as a limited good. If I am blessed by God, then you are less so, because my blessing had to have taken away from yours. My honor came at your expense. The access to food reflected this elite's access to power that controlled resources. The lack of food was one of the many ways that people experienced the injustice of this disparity of power. And it's also one of the reasons that we see so many sick people in the Gospels. Jesus is healing so many people because so many people are suffering. Diseases of deprivation, like having inadequate nutrition, and diseases of contagion were absolutely rife. But the biblical tradition that Jesus is carrying out very clearly identifies that, that God will feed hungry people. God provides food for the wilderness generation in Exodus. Ezekiel condemns Israel's leaders for failing to feed their sheep. The prophet Isaiah declares that God's will that people will share their bread with the hungry. Matthew's version of Jesus, the stories that Matthew tells of Jesus, point to a merciful practice of giving that redistributes resources to those in need. He defends the practice of finding and giving food as a way of honoring the Sabbath. He declares that the nations will be judged in part on whether they have provided food for the hungry. And the traditions that talk about establishing God's reign, God's empire in all of its glory, depict this time as having abundant food and feast for all. Ezekiel talks about a time when the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase. They shall be secure on their soil when I break the bars of their yoke and save them from the hands of those who enslaved them. I will provide for them a splendid vegetation so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land. This age of secure and nutritional food supply comes when God breaks the self-satisfied rule of imperial powers. Isaiah anticipates an age when on the mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all the people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food filled with marrow. One of the reasons that the new age is often represented in terms of abundant food is because there is such an absence of food in the present. 
I think we can understand what it might be like to live in a world where some people have the power and have hoarded the wealth that could eliminate hunger. I think we know what it feels like to live in that time. And Jesus' actions here in Matthew highlight and confront this injustice of the Roman world with an action that shows God's will to feed hungry people. It anticipates this coming age when God will supply abundant food. The food is not a metaphor. The food is not an allegory for grace or love. Food is food in this story. Food is health. Food is abundance. Food is thriving. But this isn't a larger story. This is about how Jesus came to make sure that people's real material needs were met. Jesus cares a lot about the economics of the world. He talks about them over and over again, and I think when we try to make them about something more, we're missing how much God cared about the health and safety of people now and here in the very moment when we are looking at them. The second miracle is Jesus involving the disciples in his response. The disciples bring this to Jesus as a problem for him to solve. They know they don't have the food, and so they want Jesus to send the people away. And whether we read their reaction as the opposite of compassionate, or we're more sympathetic and assume that they're practical, their goal is to get Jesus to solve this problem. But he doesn't. He hands the problem right back to them and asks, well, what food do you have? And when they offer their meager stores, he takes and blesses what they bring and uses it. And then he feeds thousands. Jesus invites them to take responsibility and then accompanies them into the midst of the challenges that confront them. He takes and blesses what they have and involves them in this miracle. Jesus invites them to get off the sidelines, to take responsibility for the problems that we see around us, accompanies us into these challenges and blesses the efforts, uses whatever we might offer, and watches the miracles unfold. This is a practical story of what happens when each of us decide that the problem in front of us is not a problem we are willing to find acceptable anymore. It's when all of us say we have something to give to this. And it might not feel like much, but miracles come out of nothing. This is not a problem that was fixed in Jesus's time. We still need to feed the hungry in our world today. According to the World Food Program, there are approximately 34 million people who are hungry. 100% of counties in the United States report people with food insecurity. There is not a place in our country that is untouched 
by this. It is one in 12 children in Idaho do not know if they will have sufficient food when they go home. We know that hunger is related to illness and to developmental disabilities. It is difficult, if not entirely impossible, for a hungry child to focus in school. With the school year starting, access to school lunches and breakfasts have started again. But the state is currently unwilling to accept $15 million to feed kids when they aren't in school. If nothing changes, if we don't write letters to our representatives, put pressure on the governor, if we don't take this money, next summer there will be kids who will enter the summer break in a food crisis. They will go months without the resources that schools can currently provide to them. What are we as Christians doing to feed the hungry? This story is not a metaphor. This story is a reminder that all of us have a part that we can play. Many churches have food banks that supply food and provide meals to those in need. They have feeding programs, Sunday lunches. How can we and do we contribute to those efforts? Your offering, whatever that might look like, can be those small resources, that half a loaf of bread, that when blessed and added with others can bring forth an increase. We can plant gardens and give of our excess. We can advocate for and support programs that feed the hungry. We can talk to Jenny, who knows so well what the need is and is working so hard to step into those gaps and make a difference. <clears throat> Feeding the hungry in the very literal way is how we bring forth God's kingdom on this earth. This story, it's not a metaphor for something larger. But we often see faith as if we are consumers. What can I get out of it? How am I being fed spiritually? That's what I want to focus on. But that's not the question that the gospel is asking us this morning. The gospel is asking instead, how are we contributing to a new culture of abundance that says there is enough for everyone. There is plenty for all of us. But that's going to come out of what we offer, what we are willing to give, and not from what we want to take. My friends, the miracle in this story is the way that Jesus still involves us in the response the way that it was never just the work of one holy being, but a reminder that all of us can come together, that this is something that we can do. We can offer a miracle. It's a reminder that we are called to be the people who create the miracles. It's a reminder 
that food is the very basis of God's kingdom in this world. And so, my friends, I pray that this week you remember that this story is not a metaphor. That you get involved and you find that little piece that you can contribute. And I am excited to see the miracles that will unfold as a result. Amen. Amen.